All right, uh, so welcome to our fourth business acumen session, or rather the third one. Um, so today we've got a very interesting topic. Um, it's around investment holding companies and not sure if um, any one of you works for any of them or rather you follow or you follow one of them. But it's such a very interesting space that I just thought it's worth talking to tonight, especially around some of the key transactions that are really shaping uh, our economy and um, uh, respective industries. So as much as there may be quite a number of them in the local space, uh, tonight I just want to focus on some of them. And I think from here, based on your interest, you will then have an opportunity to follow up on others. And the one particular, or the particular one that I want to focus on will be Remgro. Uh, so very prominent, uh, very uh, instrumental to developing quite a lot of industries. And uh, in terms of some of the recent developments, it, it's quite interesting uh, to just touch on it and then see uh, or just hear some of your thoughts. So essentially, the focus will be how this investment holding company take the journey uh, to create value for shareholders. And it's such an interesting concept. And one has to understand their uniqueness uh, in terms of how they go about creating this value. And therefore, when one then engage with the material and one engage with the articles that are out there, you'll really then be able to immerse yourself in the kind of thinking that happens here. Another thing that I like about it, as you'll see when you get to the academics, is just the idea around the integration with a lot of the things that you've done so far and just an opportunity uh, to Uh, just an opportunity to touch base on some of those kind of concepts. So the agenda of tonight then looks like this. So firstly, we're going to have an overview of some of the prominent investment holding companies. Uh, in one way or the other, I'm sure you will have encountered uh, some of these companies, and it will be very interesting to just see in terms of their history and how they are connected to the economic or financial management world. Then we're going to talk about an investment case for investment holdings, because one will want to understand that if I've got the money, why should I consider giving it or putting it into an um, investment holding company? Why don't I invest directly? Why, uh, if I've got a business, it's something to consider or to be mindful of? Then we will identify one of the uh, investment case uh, of an investment holding company as um, a permanent capital holder, and we'll then just explore how patient uh, their capital is, because that's one of the biggest value proposition. Then next will be the challenges that they are currently facing, because there's quite a lot of scrutiny now on investment holding company in terms of their relevance and in terms of the returns that they present to shareholders. Then Against those challenges, they have come to develop a very interesting uh, 
shareholder unlocking strategies or initiatives. And we're going to just look at them in general. And when we end it off, we'll then look at some of the ones that Remgrown themselves have recently undertaken. And I'll then just put it to you to just engage and share your thoughts on where some of these companies uh, are sitting, where do you believe they will be in a couple of years' time, and so on and so on. Then we'll touch on the last three aspects, which is just around the academics in other news as well as beyond the academics. So to jump into it, so I'm sure on this slide there will be names that you quite um, that are quite familiar to you. So on top, these are some of the prominent uh, investment holding company in the South African space. A majority, actually all of them, are born in the South African space. In other words, these are South African um, uh, incorporated entities, which over the years they've looked at various um, uh, structures that have led some of them to have international arms. But in terms of mainly their roots, their roots are mainly from South Africa. And when we just start from the left, We've got Remgro, which I was saying that is the focus of our session tonight. And when you look under some of their key investments, uh, you'll see that these are some of the familiar names. Total Energy, which is one of the four major um, fuel stations in South Africa. Then we've got ICL, which is Rainbow Chicken, uh, which also owns uh, Celati uh, Sugar Brands. Then E goes without saying, that's the e-media uh, entity which holds um, media companies like ETV. Then we've got PGI, PGSI, which is PG Glass. Uh, as most of you will know it, it's uh, quite a big brand in terms of just providing support for windscreen, uh, for vehicles, and so on. Then we've got RMI. RMI, it's also not a popular brand, but the brand that it holds is one of the most popular ones in the insurance industry. It holds um, assurance. And in terms of some of the brands that also came from there, we've got Discovery that came from there. A lot of strategic support was offered to the likes of First Rent back in the years. So this is one of in terms of just the recognized um, the recognized industries uh, that we've seen quite a lot. Another big brand that we uh, can associate with Remgro is the Distel and also Mediclinic, the private healthcare group. So when we talk about investment holding company, we are talking about that entity that has got several investments in different companies. And as you will see, the next in line is PSG. PSG is essentially the one that has been behind the growth of a Kuro brand and the schools, and which over the years, it has grown to such an extent that it evolved from its stadium, which is um, a higher education a provider entity and Capitech is also one of its babies. So you can see in terms of just also the contribution that some of these companies make, it is really, really um, noteworthy. Then we've got Braid, which in itself 
owns Premier Foods. So Premier Foods, that's um, uh, that's the the the, the fast-moving consumer goods competes directly with the likes of Tiger Brands, and it has what it has. Um, I believe um, brands like what is this big? Is it Sunbeak? I think from a bread perspective, it's Sunbeak, and also Iwisa falls under their name. Uh, so it's quite a big brand in terms of the fast-moving consumer products. Then Virgin Active, it's a brand that we all know. Uh, so that is under uh, the brand or under the investment entity Breed. Then we've got Naspas, where from it we have uh, had a multi-choice DSTV, Supersport. They were part of Naspas family. And right now, one of the biggest brands that we can associate with it is Take A Lot, as well as Media24. Media24 is quite big in terms of um, newspapers as well as magazine. The likes of you uh, are under there. The likes of um, of uh, Sunday World is under them and so on. So when we talk about investment holding companies, this is the picture that we've got. So there are others like M MCI, M MCI uh, Mine Workers um, Investment, and also the likes of Brimstone that owns the likes of uh, Oceana. But I think in terms of the one that has really developed some of the brands that we have become well associated with, these are they. Looks familiar, right? Are you there? Yes, yes. I'm learning. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, uh, sure. yes. Sorry, sorry to just jump in. You know, I, I'm still in awe because I don't understand the investment companies, how it works. Now it's starting to make all sense. Okay. But, yeah, no, this is really, really interesting. So, right. continue. Good to hear. Good to hear. Okay. So, so now in terms of what really makes this kind of company stand out? So these companies go and make a case for both investors, investors being the, the people with the money to invest, as well as the investing company. Because you can imagine their business model, how it works. Their business model it requires that they've got cash. So that means they need to have a good story to you and I and other people that have got billions and billions of friends to invest. Why should you put their money in them? And they need to also go to a business and say, you, we see that you've got opportunity and you need us to partner with, uh, you need us to partner with you. So, 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 so that is essentially their business model, meaning that they have to find good assets and they have to find money. And in terms of then their investment case, when they go to an investor, they're essentially saying that investor, you can choose to put your money at in X, you can choose to put your money in unit trust, you can choose to put your money in pension and so on and so on. Because as an investor with money, you've got so many assets that you can invest in. And their biggest selling point is that we can give you access to a diversified portfolio at comparatively low rates. 
meaning that in terms of fees, because if you had to buy unit trust uh, for those that have, whether it's part of your insurance, um, uh, life insurance, not life insurance, patient funds and so on, whether it's work or out of your own decision, you will see that there is a charge that they charge that they um, levy on an annual basis. Sometimes it's around 1.5, and in some funds, it's around 2% per annum uh, on the value of the portfolio. And one of the biggest uh, value proposition uh, that these investment holding companies put they will tell investors that if you put your money into us, we'll give you an opportunity to say your one rand is sitting in company A, company B, company C. So it's actually going the extra mile. And you're doing or able to achieve this at what? At very, very competitive rates. That is number one. Number two, there are some assets that you will say, I like to invest in. Like, for instance, some of you might be gym fanatics, and you might say that I want to at least get a piece of what Virgin Active. And the idea here is then what? The idea here is that how do you get a share in Virgin Active? So Virgin Active is not listed, um, but what is listed is great. So they then provide an opportunities for investors to participate in those what in those kind of markets. Um, and that is one of also their biggest selling points. And if you think about also Remgro ETV, uh, no, not ETV, but the likes of Vumatel, it's also under their stable. Uh, the likes of DFI, it's also under their stable. Um, and Distel at some point was uh, under their stable and it was unlisted. So what they will then promise as a value proposition is that this is a good asset. And the only way that you can participate or get a piece of it is through us. So that was their second value proposition. Then number three, which is also a, a, a value proposition for a business owner, is that they've got patient capital. And this is a biggest selling point because some of the most challenging aspects of developing a business is that some businesses are one, capital intensive. They require so much capital in order to do what? In order to get to a point where they can be considered to be sustainable. I mean, if you look at uh, Discovery Bank, Discovery, the, 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 the day that they launched it, they said about, I think about two or three years ago, that they expect this asset to make or to hit break even 2024 or 2026. But you can imagine that who then has the patient to then put money and wait seven years just to break even? Because at that point, they're not even talking about profit. And also, there are other industries that have really then desired this kind of what, this kind of patient capital. Also, the hospital groups, they say that a hospital or even a school, for it to reach break-even point or profitability, it's around a seven-year period. So not many investors are like that. Because at this point, there's quite a lot of investment that needs to be made, and there are losses that need to be funded. And the value proposition of these guys is we've got permanent capital, and our patient and our capital is very patient. So that is, as you can imagine, a very good proposal, a proposition for a business owner 
Because if I'm saying that I've got this ambition, but there's no way that one will not be what will be willing to fund it. Because if I go to a bank, the bank will say this is an amortization, amortizing loan or this is a loan with a blood, uh, blood payment of five years. But these guys are saying, no, we are with you. We'll put in the money to see this business come into what? Into fruition. Therefore, the likes of insurance companies get to like this because they are not saying that the focus of this business is to grow this asset. We are not expecting dividend, but in terms of funding pension funds in 10, 20, 30 years time, then we will be sorted here. And then this access to network of human capital. So one of the key proposition of these investment holding companies, both again to investors and businesses alike, is to say that if you give us your money as an investor, if you as a business uh, allow us to take an interest in your business, we will then give you access to skills that you will not normally get access to. Do you want to go international? Then we've got a division that looks at international. Like for instance, we always talk about the going into a country, it's a very risky situation. You have to run the pastel and so on. But because these are investment companies always looking for opportunities, they do have such divisions that are just focused on looking at opportunities or understanding different markets. So by then partnering with them, you get exposure and access to that what to that um, uh, skills or talent pool. Then another one is access to deal-making capabilities. And one of the key things that we have seen with these businesses is that to really unlock value, you have to get to a point where you recognize organic growth will get you to a particular point. And you will need to either combine with another entity or acquire another entity in order to really take your business to the next level. So because this companies are investment holding companies they've got skills in MA and they've got access to ceos and cfos of some of this large operating entity such that in terms of unlocking shareholder value and unlocking synergies they're able to do that much more effectively and if we also look at the track record of Remgro, we'll then see that because they had access to first rent, they were able to also leverage uh, the capital to build the likes of discovery, to build the likes of assurance. Uh, and I think from what I've had, assurance, I think it started making money last year. And you can imagine that you thought probably this is one of the biggest brands in South Africa, it's making money and so on. But they, they had the kind of capital and the kind of connections to then build that business. And as a business that has a potential of a significant skill, you really need access to that so that they can connect you with the right businesses in order to allow your business to grow. And they've got a track record of such. And sometimes even from an exam perspective, we, we, we really forget to ask about who are you bringing as a shareholder? And if you're bringing a company like this, then you can clearly see the strategic value. And that brings us to what? To the last point. Because they are, or how they work, is that once they've invested in your business, they then either, if they've got control, take board seats. 
if they don't have control, then they can, um, so board seats as seen in some cases, operational control where they can appoint a CEO, appoint um, a board chairman uh, and so on and so on. And in some cases they can just take a non-executive uh, director position just to give that resounding voice uh, to say, all right, uh, okay, you want to grow here, then maybe to unlock this opportunity, it might be worth it to uh, lobby this uh, ministry, it might be low, uh, beneficial to lobby uh, these key investors and so on and so on. So they then provide that strategic support and direction. So as you can imagine, this then becomes what becomes their biggest value proposition. Where now, if I'm running a business and I need to go to the next level, I can then consider what a partnership or an investment from an investment holding company. And on the other side, if I'm an investor, I will be keen to say, because you've got access to Virgin Active, and I know Virgin Active is not going to go down anytime soon, because you've got access to this asset, it's not going to go down anytime soon. That is the kind of what? The kind of uh, investment value proposition that uh, we like. And when you look at even Remgro's um, investment philosophy, they say they invest in business that a promise or they've got a potential to deliver significant returns above their high rate. Guys, guys, just check your mind. Then next, it's a, they also invest within business that have got a high barrier of entry. And that's a very interesting thing because you can see strategy coming through there. Because if you are saying you are then in a case study presented as that entry-level chartered accountant, you can then start imagining what? You can start imagining the kind of support that you'll be providing, meaning it will be in terms of analyzing the company you're going to uh, put in. Is it an industry where tomorrow they might mushroom another company and so on and so on. So, so this set of skills, this set of qualities are available in investment holding companies. But their biggest, biggest value add is this access to patient capital. But then one wonders, what do you really mean when you talk about patient capital? Some of the most prominent um, examples of how patient this capital is, is the likes of Take A Lot, Vuma, um, Vumatel, RCL and Virgin Active, because if we track just the performance of Take A Lot in just the past four years, so it is quite interesting. Take A Lot is one of the biggest brands in South Africa, but it has never seen a profit even today. And you can see that the losses that it's currently reporting in 2022, this excited the investors uh, to say that, hmm, you made a loss of 7 million. And I was like, but how are we excited about this? Because that's like about 120 million rent loss. And investors are cheering and they're saying that this is brilliant. You are doing well. Take a lot. And if you look at even last year, they made about $7 million uh, loss. And just to go back 2020 before COVID, you can see that the losses were so deep. And this 
is not stopping what? This is not stopping the likes of NASPAS from putting money behind it. So they, they, they took this asset about 10 years ago uh, in 2015 uh, at about 800 million rand. And since then, it has been bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. And just around the past four years, it has bled about 1.7 billion. And this is just from an operating loss perspective, mind you, meaning that there are still assets. We have seen them investing in warehouses. We have seen them investing in their driver program, investing in these pickup points. And those are not the things that hit the PNL. So you can then for imagine that to really create a company like take a lot, it requires quite a lot. And from a strategic perspective, that's a massive barrier of entry. Because if you look at sometimes who is next or behind take a lot, you will see that they are miles and miles behind. And that is the kind of um, value that an investment holding company brings. And I mean, if you look at access to capital that NASPAS have, it's it's quite shocking. We took about billions and billions of rent there. So 1.8 billion in losses, and no worries, we, we can manage. We see where this is going. And even interesting, when they reported the losses uh, for, for, for the current year, the results rather, they were talking that in terms of revenue, take a lot has grown in, and it's more similar or even just above game stores. Game has been around for seven, for a number of years, but now this entity that they started investing in from 2015, that is the kind of size that it now has. Then Vumatel, which I um, trust some of you might have used to access this kind of classes. It's also Remgross, um, um, one of its, um, what is it, jewel, that they, 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 they are really believing and putting quite a lot of money behind it. And just also to, to just check about the, the, the patience of the capital. In 2022, half year uh, results, they reported that Vuma um, uh, and DFA, its, um, its counterpart, DFA, probably you might not have known, you might not be familiar with it, it invests in, um, in um, fiber to business, uh, whereas Vuma invests in fiber to the home. Uh, so we will be more familiar with uh, Vumatel because if I want fiber, it is one of what? It is one of the infrastructure service provider uh, for, for many complexes in South Africa. But that, as prominent as it is, in just half year 2022, it made a loss close to 600 million. 2021, it made a loss of 1.1 billion. So just under two years, we are talking about losses of 1.7 billion. And if we then also take into account that this is just from an operational perspective, how much are they putting and how much capital are they allowing this entity to access? So in the same period, just under two years, despite these losses, they've put in equity of 6.5 billion. So, so you, you can really get to understand that this is a different kind of animal in terms of what? In terms of just what an investment entity is all about. And you will then be thinking that, no, Vumatel, I mean, it's like they don't do anything. They just put that thing and they start collecting. Yes, they do. But to really get to that scale, it requires significant capital. 
Then RCL Foods, Rainbow Capital, we, we have seen the poultry industry being hard hit um, by these imports, um, which is always quite interesting in terms of uh, the dynamics that happen in that space uh, of um, that they said the back in the years there was a big dumping and they pleaded with the ministry to implement anti-dumping um, duties, which were implemented, uh, but it was quite interesting in terms of the debate to say that here yeah, this kind of impact of re restricting um, these imports or these imports that come to South Africa, they are not getting to the consumers because from what we are paying, it is what it is still a high price for poultry, which is one of the basic uh, necessity. And because of those imports and also because of COVID, the business really struggled. Uh, where in 2020, it made a loss of about a billion rand. And in 2019, it made a loss of what? Uh, just under 200 million. And in that year, the net cash movement was a negative of 1.3 billion. And you can imagine, because that has to be funded. Because if you don't have cash in your bank account, something has to happen. And then what it just highlights is then a loss of about what? Oh, capital or yeah, losses of about just 1.1 billion in under two years. And remember that this is under the same stable that we've got Vumatel. So yes, we might be looking at this and say, oh, 1.1 billion, not bad. But we are seeing that on the other side, they've got Vuma that is making loss of 1.6 billion. And we've got equity investment coming in at 6.5 billion. So you can see the kind of expertise that are required to run this efficiently and probably with a, with a calm mind. Because yeah, if one is not really probably used to such environment, you'll think that this is in the red. But this is when investors are cheering and say, well done guys, we are happy. We are willing to give you more capital to see this through. To see this through. Then on the other side, Braid, um, recently there was a transaction that it announced where it was combining Real Foods, which owns uh, New Foods as well as Kuai, into the Virgin Active SA uh, stable. And as part of that transaction, there was about 1.8 billion uh, that was invested. And it was invested for the purpose of just getting back the business from COVID challenges. So, 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 so you can see the kind of what, the kind of capital that is required to develop sectors, to develop an economy. And it seems that the role that these companies as investment holding companies play is so significant that they are really deployers of capital and they always have to prove to investors that no need to worry, we've got this under control. This asset will turn around and you'll make so much money from it. But be patient. Do you see that? Thoughts at this point? Nothing? Oh. Okay. I see some chats. 
but okay, we'll exploit it. So now one and will 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 be surprised to say that investors are tired of this business model. Surprisingly, so investors are saying mm -mm, the, the, this this is no longer working, and it's it's quite a shock because one will think that the proposition and the investment case they put forward is very strong, but investors are saying mm -mm, no more. And how do we know that they are not happy anymore? This is the picture that brings it together. So to really understand this picture, one has to, to look at the graph first. So the graph is saying that Brett is trading at a discount of 48% to the NAV. So what does that mean? It means that the assets that Brett has you as that entry-level chartered accountant or evaluation expert, you have valued those assets and you have said that they are worth, say, 100 rand. Okay, that's number one. But now investors are saying that, no, no, no. The share price of this company, it's actually 60, 52 rand. So do you see what that means? So it means that you as an investment holding company, you are holding an asset worth 100, but investors are only willing to pay 52 rand to get access to that asset. Do you see the problem? Hmm? Because it sounds a bit illogical when you start, but one will say, why are investors acting in that manner? And just then going a step down, they are saying that you, Naspas, we see that you hold investment worth trillion rand, but we only see 53 billion or 530 billion in there. Hmm. Then Remgro, similar, but its discount, it's what? It's a bit less. And PSG, it also has a lower discount relative to some of the more prominent, what? More prominent, um, more prominent uh, investment holding companies. So another way to look at it, it means that if I buy a share for 52 Rand, then if nothing happens, if that investment holding company disappears, then I have access to 100 Rand immediately. It means that I am, I've, the, 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 the value of my investment could jump by 92% just without anything happening. Does that logic make sense? Because this is what then frustrates investors and some they see it as an opportunity to buy in. Because you will, as an investor, will need to make a call. Are you confident, one, that the valuation of the asset is true such that you are willing to get in at a discount of 48% in break and wait because your capital is patient and wait until that asset is realized. Because when that asset is realized, your investment is gonna jump by 92%. And for PSG, where the discount is 29%, then your investment will jump by 41%. So now one will wonder that, so these investment holding companies are then at, are they a trap of value? 
Because if an asset, we can all agree it's 100 rand, but investors are only willing to give 52 rand to access that asset, then something is wrong. They are saying that they don't like the picture. And, and imagine in the case of what? Of NASPAS, because NASPAS is a trillion rand company. So if we are saying that NASPAS, you are worth trillion rand, we are saying that if you didn't exist and we held that investments ourselves, that trillion will become 1.8 trillion just overnight. So the only thing stopping us from accessing the asset is you, and we don't like that anymore. So that is the biggest challenge that the investors, these investment holding companies are facing. Now, one that goes into the problem, why though? Why are these investment holdings, investment holding companies no longer a darling in the investor space? Why are investors no longer as interested in them? Because they had a good value proposition, and I'm hoping that you also bought into it as presented by one of the investment holding companies. So why will someone not be intrigued? So when one looks at um, PSG's annual report, they, they summarized it well. So firstly, is this issue of permanent capital. So investors are saying that, but you came and asked for capital from us, and we gave you billions and billions, but now we are seeing you are just sitting with that capital. But all right, I thought we understood that this capital is supposed to be patient. I thought we understood each other that in order for me to grow companies, I need to always have company uh, capital to invest. But somehow investors are saying, mm -mm, we don't like it anymore. Because why? Because we want the capital to grow and we gave it to you to grow it. But you having it and sitting in a bank account, I could have put it in a bank account. I could have been earning the same rate that you're earning and probably I've got better relationship, I've got better opportunity to finding the best interest rate. So I don't want you to hold it because that's not exciting for me. So that's number one. So they don't like that anymore. And investment holding companies are saying, but we need cash for strategic reasons. It's not even for transitional reason, it's for strategic reasons. Then number two is the tax trap. So now one asks that, okay, so now with that asset of 100 rand, if it is to realize what will happen, number one, think with me here, there will then be a disposal. A disposal will trigger CGT. So that means the first value that will be scrapped is CGT. Okay. And if we assume that what, if we assume that, um, that um, CGT is still that 22, uh, point what is it 22.6 yes um what is it nowadays 27 percent times 80 percent 21.6 so it means that when i see value of 100 i'm thinking that you are going to lose what you are going to lose at most 21 rand in paying taxes and you then have to give this money to me and when you give it to me you're going to give it to me as a dividend and therefore you're gonna lose another what? 
another 20% because dividends withholding tax is 20%. So do you see where that 40% on average is coming from? So it is like it's representing the value that is trapped through the tax. So that's why they call it a tax trap. Because for me to get that 100 rand through you, all these things have to happen, assuming zero CGT base. You have to sell the asset, pay CGT to SARS, and you then have to declare dividend to me, pay 20%. So the tax trap is that kind of what release that comes from what? That kind of release that comes from realizing that investment. So when you see that average of 40%, it makes sense. And you being CA candidates, this will make more sense to you than probably the men on the street. Okay, then number three, we trusted you to make investment, good investment decisions. So when you, we see you making investment in companies that don't have a good long-term story, then we are worried. Like for instance, there was a time where investors didn't like rainbow chicken. They're like chicken, it's, it's such a difficult business to, for, it's such a business, a difficult business to run. And the upside is almost non to existent because chicken, yes, everybody's going to eat chicken, but it's not like we're going to eat two more chicken tomorrow. So what, what are we interested in? So if it's a stable business, sure, it will bring cash every, every year and we'll enjoy those cash in a form of dividends. But now when we are busy waiting for that cash, then there are challenges coming through. There's COVID, there is dumping, there is operational cost, there is maize now, there is Russia. So now this we are no longer interested in. So this is another thing that is starting to annoy investors, that there are some assets that are held, but what about them? They are not probably where they believe their money should be invested. Then excessive fee structure. So this it's always a, a, an issue because remember that one if you look at um, if you look at um, naspa's um, annual report um, i think what is it the ceo i think about 2 or 3 years back he was paid about 200 million rands as compensation in the form of shares and so on and so on but that's 200 million going into one person and you then wonder that, oh, hold on, hold on. You, your biggest asset is Tencent. Tencent is a well-established business. And you've now created this structure called NASPAS. And now the investment that we could have had directly in Tencent, it has you in between. Okay, we're going to accept that. But now you are charging 200 million on one person before I get this money. So investors are also saying, mm -mm, we need to look at that because they need to be better alignment between what you do and us. And we've always spoken about this in what in finance, that a good performance measure, a good incentive measure has to align the interest of the divisional managers with those of the shareholders. And in some cases, investors are finding that that's not aligned. There was also a big fallout, um, not a fallout rather, but a, a big um, challenge to Mutsipe's um, what ARC um, investment fees, where 
the, 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 the portfolio did not grow significantly as investors expected, but the investment partners got quite a lot from what? From a, a compensation perspective, despite that uh, uh, not so impressive return to shareholders. So these are some of these things that start to really put off um, investors. And that is why they're saying we don't like the in-between. Just give us the asset. We we will sit with it and this asset, when it declares dividend, it will just give us, there will not be anyone in between. So thank you for developing it, but now give it to us. That's where they are. And another thing is that they are saying that one of the reasons that you came and proposed um, your Oh, your, your biggest value proposition when you came to us was that you will provide a single entry in terms of these attractive assets. In other words, there will not be anyone else that will have access to these assets. But more and more, we have seen investment holding companies holding shares that are listed. But I'm saying that if the share is listed, why don't I as an investor go and buy it myself? Why do I need you? who will be paying executives, who will be paying uh, this cost, head office cost, operational cost, and all these other issues to just get the same return or to get the same asset. So when an investment holding, because, and this is the challenge, it holds this asset for a number of years. Like we will not be surprised if in future, it then says Vuma, has to be listed because usually that's how capital will be realized. But now when they list such an asset, they now have created another entry point. And one wonders, why should someone who wants now access to the listed asset come through you? Because the asset is there and there's no in between. I can just put my money on my investment account and get it. So that is another issue. And, 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 and the PSG CEO put it very nicely why this is a problem for, for PSG and other investment holdings. Because if I'm saying that the share price is trading at a discount of 48% or 29%, whatever it is, it means that you as an investor, I go and borrow 100 rand from you or you invest 100 rand in me. But the moment it gets into my account, it is worth say 52 rand like hold on hold on so now it means that as a manager or an investment holding company i need to do quite a lot to then get it back to 100 rand and start making a return for you because you gave me 100 you want a return but the moment it got to my account it became what it got this text thread and now it is averaged out with the existing discount. And therefore, it means that I need to be looking for very attractive assets in order to just give you your anticipated return. So a discount is really a problem for these investment holding companies. Any questions at this point? Do, do you see how this is a challenge for them? Any 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 questions so far? All good. Thumbs up if you're good. 
or if you've got questions, please go for it. Okay, I see some thumbs up. Cool. Then, how then is the journey to unlocking value? So when we talk about unlocking shoulder value, it is all about narrowing the discount. So I'm there sitting this investment holding company and say, how do I narrow the discount? Because now this is their ambition. So we have to understand this as well. So their ambition is that we need to close the discount. So imagine how much work Braid has. So Braid needs to close that 48% discount. So that means the share, the, 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 the share price has to go and it has to at least equal to the share to the NAV. But they're saying that you need to love our assets, underlying assets so much that when you are seeing them as being 100 in NAV, you are willing to say pay 110, 120. That is their ambition. Because I should be able to say that, uh, and it's like when you're doing an investment um, calculation, a P and so on, and you then say uh, an adjustment for limited entry points, that's what they want. And you add a plus to say that this is worth more than its fair value, because if you want a part of it, there's no any other place you'll be able to do so. So, so, so that is their desire as investment holding company. That has been the, 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 the biggest challenge for what? For the likes of um, NASPAS, Remgro, and PSG. A and they came up with fabulous structures, awesome structures, transactions to unlock this video. But here I've just then summarized just five key strategic ways that we have seen been implemented to unlock value. So the first one is sell the investment. But as I've told you, no one wants to, no investment holding company wants to sell the investment because it looks like a poor decision. Can you imagine, right? It looks like a poor decision because one, you have to pay CGT and you have to pay dividends withholding tax. And that means you will have proved investors that that discount was deserving. So investment holding companies don't want to enter into sell transactions. And if you go to history, do some research, you will see that is the last resort. And sometimes you might have opened financials and say, wait, why are they unbundling and they are not selling? Because when you unbundle, which we're going to talk about just next, it's you then declare the shares that you have as a dividend to the shareholders. So, so now let's compare a disposal and an unbundling. When I dispose, I get cash, right? But there could be CGT implication. There could be dividends withholding tax. And because if I'm promising that I'm realizing this asset, then that means that cash has to go to you. So investment holding companies, because they are intended to serve shareholders, when they sell an asset, we don't expect them to sit with the asset. We will actually love for them maybe to sell an asset at a very good rate and use that money to invest somewhere else. Because in that regard, we only then suffer from a CGT perspective. And some of the value shape may be realized depending on the premium paid. But next is then the unbundling. 
So when we talk about unbundling, we then talk about a situation where there's no cash involved. Let's say you are a shareholder in Remgro. Remgro owns Vumatel shares, and then they, they will declare as a dividend in specie those Vuma shares to you, meaning that you previously owned those shares through Remgro, but after the transaction, you will own those shares directly. This is one of the tax efficient structure if you apply your corporate um, transaction provisions correctly, uh, you could actually be able to achieve it at a zero uh, tax base. Uh, but again, it's very, very uh, complex and you need to be efficient with your tax structure. And the problem is that they are now giving those shares to you and me. But hold on, does it mean that they will no longer be the parent? And if they are the parent, all those nice things about patient capital, all those things about access to network, do you agree that they will no longer have them? Whereas with the disposal, at least it can be argued that the investment is going to someone who will be able to run it better or who will suggest they will run it better. So unbundling, yes, is an option, but it might not be as attractive because there is a loss of that parent. Then distribution. Because of that problem of permanent capital, a lot of investment holding company, um, they're doing this. So I'm not sure whether you also know this company, it's called SoftBank. SoftBank is one of the biggest investors in Uber. Uh, they just announced more less than a week ago uh, that um, they are selling their investment in Uber. And the idea then was also to get cash because their other investments are not doing so well. Uh, they will been bent and so on by other investment. But what now? Shareholders are saying they are saying that because of some of this bad decision, just show us something certain. And what you can show as certainty, it's cash. I mean, if you give me cash today, cash value is today's value. I don't need to be doing some financial analysis. Just give me cash. And that's where some of these investors are. They want cash out. And the likes of NASPAS have been selling down their interest um, in Tencent, uh, where I think last year they sold about 2%, two, 2 and I think 2% came and gave them about 100 billion, which they declared uh, to investors as a dividend. So distribution of cash actually excites investors. So that is something that we are seeing quite prominently where these investment holding companies are declaring a cash dividend and are taking a share buyback because even a share buyback is tax efficient and they are really freeing the cash from the what low yield that it has. And another, because one of the proposition that I mentioned is the single entry. So some investment holding companies have been taking the assets private because the more you take an asset private, the more now I'm saying that I, 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 where do I put the money? Then, oh no, it's sitting with me. Then give me the money, then I'll see what I can do. So that is another strategic way that they then close out those loopholes. Because the more entries they are, the deeper the discount. But if you close those entries, you'll do it. You will, um, you will then be able to then trap value there 
and investors will want to look at it, and therefore the demand and the share price will then go up. So that will involve buying out minority and delisting the asset, um, uh, and also ending up to create a single entry for investors. However, this is not good for the JSE. If you look at the JSE, they are saying that about in the 1990s, it had about 9,900 companies listed, and in early this year, it had about 300, 400 companies listed. So about 400 to 500 companies have been lost as a form of delisting in what? In just the South African context. Why is that a problem for JC? Remember, JC charges listing fees when there are corporate transactions they charge and so on and so on. So if there are less companies being listed, then that's a problem for them. And also for you and I, because we want to participate in these companies, but if they are no longer available on the JSC, it means that we are forced to take an asset in probably something that we might not believe in. Then some, how do they do it? They do it by managing their cost. PSG used to pride themselves that their cost of operation comes to about 0.05% of the value of their assets, which is quite good. And Braid had a stated strategic objective of keeping the cost below a particular percentage of the NAV, and they were consistent. So that is another thing that investors love. So that could then give them that confidence back in investment holding companies. Then, just to, to, to see some of the recent transactions that Remgro has been involved in, to unlock shareholder value and narrow the discount. So South African's hospital darling will then also uh, be going, or it's more likely to be delisted in the next couple of months. So right now, MediClinic is listed. It's got operations in South Africa, Southern Africa, uh, Dubai, AUE, as well as Switzerland. But now MediClinic, uh, Remgro, along MSC, imagine, MSC is the shipping company, the one with the containers. They are taking this, um, their offer to take MediClinic private uh, has been accepted by the board. It now needs to be accepted by the shareholders. And if so, then it will be delisted from the Johannesburg Stock Exchange and also the London Stock Exchange. Meaning that if you liked MediClinic, you will now be looking to Remgro to participate in those earnings. The value of the transaction is 74 billion rand. Very attractive. Why are they doing it? They want to now restrict access because Remgro currently has got about 44% in MediClinic and the rest of the shares are listed to the public, you and I. So we can buy shares in what? We can buy shares in MediClinic. But now someone will say, if I then wanted MediClinic, or if tomorrow I want MediClinic and it's delisted, I have to just look at what? Remgro. And if the share price is going up, then I have no choice then to pay that price. And the reason why they're doing it now is because they're realizing that the prospect that MediClinic has, they're just too significant. And they believe that 75, 74 billion will be recovered. And another interesting thing is the valuation matrix because we always talk about doing a PE valuation and adding and controlling premium at the end. 
if you check the premium that they're taking MediClinic at before the the comparing the share price before the transaction was announced and the offer price, it's about a 30% discount. Uh, sorry, premium. Because sometimes people ask, so how do you know that the premium is right? Then it just depends what you want to do with the asset. And of noteworthy, which also surprised analysts, is MSC. We thought you are a container company. We thought your specialty was to deliver things from one country to the other. How are you now being a 50% partner in buying a hospital group? And when you read further, it is because MSC, because of its uh, logistic business, they have to deal with uh, and navigate international politics. They have to navigate international governments, international characters, and so on and so on. So that is why Remgro is partnering with MSC. So from a strategic perspective, this is another shoulder consideration. Then DFA and Vumatel, there is a transaction that they entered into late last year, about November, where Vodacom, you will know that Vodacom has got fiber, uh, and Vuma, they used to want to compete. And DFA is then the provider of this um, long distance um, and um, what's the word? Open infrastructure uh, kind of uh, provider. So now Vodacom has realized that the next best thing is no longer voice, it's data. Uh, data, yes, from a mobile perspective, is picking up 5G and so on, but where the future lies, it's also in what? In fiber. So they entered into a 13 billion transaction last year, November, in order to combine the asset and for Vodacom to put an interest, uh, more cash in that business. And the reason why they chose Vodacom is also because of what? It's also because of its large balance sheet. I mean, Vodacom is very cash generative. Its gearing is close to nothing. So it's a very what? It's a very interesting partnership right there. Why? Because it also consolidated the single entry, um, what do you call it? Single entry uh, objective and also the prospects in fiber, they're expected to be significant. And that was in 2021, in 2022, I'm sure you might have seen last week or two weeks back that Standard Bank just gave Metro Fiber about 5 billion. And that just shows the confidence that they have in what, in the fiber space. Lastly, 2020 Remgro unbundled its interest in first rent and unlocked about 5.4 billion because before 2020, there were three entry points into first rent. So if you wanted to participate in West Bank, RMB, and FNB, you will need to either go to the JSC and buy the shares, or otherwise go to this company, which is called Rent Merchant Holdings, and buy the share, or go to Remgro. So there were just too many entry points, and it was no longer what as attractive for investors for Remgro to hold that asset. And even more, First rent is now a mature business. Um, in terms of growth, very limited growth, um, and it's just a matter of what? Of just enjoying the cash. And it is also a very independent business. It does not longer need the strategic handholding that an investment holding provides. So this is just some of the interesting value unlocking journey that Remgro 
has had to go through. So yes, so so one then also then stops and saying, do you think the investor consents are valid? Do you think that investment holding companies have got a bigger role in the economy to play? Because I mean, if they are not going to develop uh, those companies, who will? Who is going to develop, say, fiber in the market? Will we trust the government to do so? So those are some of the questions I'm putting to you. What are your thoughts on what we are seeing in the investment holding space? Who wants to kick it off? Hello. Not SA government. Let's talk, guys. What are your thoughts? Ten minute break. We are supposed to end at nineteen eighty. I think we'll get there, but we'll see. All right, thoughts, guys. Hi, Randoni. Good evening. Good evening. It's happy. Happy. How are you, sir? Yes. Good. Thanks. And yourself? Good. Good. Uh, all I can say is thanks for giving us this overview, especially from the investment holding perspective, not specifically trading, because all we see every mm. day is trading entities. Um, mm. So it was very interesting what their strategy is, what the objectives are, and what they're looking for. Um, so yeah, like Mbali said in the chat, we can't trust the SA government with some of these investments. And like the numbers that you've been flashing out are very big numbers and very large numbers, um, which, I mean, as you were chatting through some of the things, I was also thinking about mm -hmm the public investment corporation and what mm. the objectives are uh, mm. which slightly differ from what these private rather investment holding companies are because they okay. want investments that have at least cash so that they can yeah. service the pensioners etc mm. um, but yeah definitely they are key players in the economy uh, and yeah they are to be trusted with especially emerging assets uh, for these investments because they need time to to mature and to grow. Fair enough. Yeah. Great. Thanks for, for those thoughts. Thanks for those thoughts, AP. Anyone else? What do you think? Mm -hmm. Hi, Renard. Can I just ask something quickly? Sure. With these investment companies, when it comes to their AFS now, do they consolidate each and every company within their their each of their AFS? You're on my next slide. <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> rushing you. <laughs> but okay, no, I'll wait. Interesting and valid questions. So we'll explore what if he says about them. Okay, no um, problem. 
But from a commercial awareness perspective, I think it's one of those that is, they, they seem to exist like in the shadows, uh, but their hand is very strong. I think that's always the nice thing about investment holding company because when I discovered them, I was like, what, what do we do? What was happening here? And I think they, they've got that kind of feeling. Uh, Lusanda, please go for it. Good evening, Rendani. Um, uh, I, uh, with my uh, fellow colleagues, I do share the same sentiments regarding mm. uh, the appreciating the this wonderful session we had. Um, uh, my thoughts are with mm. regards to uh, there's a point in the slides where sure. you're mentioning uh, the part of as to some. Yeah, I think it's that one. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, whereby the uh, I think you're mentioning the Mediclinic one, how they find it, uh, uh Remgro fund to buy those shares, they how we, how they were attracted to the value and that they were even willing to 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 spend 74 billion. Um, so in my it, so my thinking is with the other side, um. If 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 it is attractive for the investors to buy. Um, the other the other party that is selling uh, is is it in is it in their best interest to sell or because if the investors are seeing that there's much more growth um, that will be developed there is it in their best interest for the shareholders the current shareholders that are holding those shares to actually sell to to these uh, thing uh, to these uh, in um, investment uh companies so i'm 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 kind of on trying to as to if if my share is attractive mm -hmm. and um it is estimated that it will it will bring value mm -hmm. will 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 what what am i gaining from from selling it to these uh to the invest uh, this to the likes of rem grow nespas and psg what will I gain as a current shareholder? Do I also want to partner with them or am I just giving everything away to them? You know, okay. So, yeah. I hear you. Very good question. So, so as I mentioned, like what they're proposing is that you've got a share worth 100 today. And it's going to be worth 100 if you hold it uh, in the future because that represents the future cash flows. But... I am now saying that your share that is worth 100 in your hands, I'm going to buy it for 120 because I am going to be the best parent for this company. You are just going to be a holder. You will just allow management to run it, but I'm bringing MSC. And with MSC and the international experience, we will actually maybe realize, say, 160. But we're going to share that 160 or the extra 60 with you that you will not have otherwise end and give you 120. And, and that is where this started getting interesting because Remgro started putting an offer. And when you go and explore it further, you'll see they put an offer for MediClinic. The board said, no, that's not good enough. We are worth much more than that. And you know it. And we know that we are so attractive in your hands and we want you to share more with us. So, so that is then what we trust 
the board to do. They need to really uh, play and exercise their fiduciary duty and help us as shareholder to get the best money on the table. So I think what then they got uh, investors um, is about 30%, yeah, 28%, so just under 30% uh, premium, meaning that the share before the transaction was announced was 100, and now shareholders are going to get 130. But you can imagine, right? Because if you think about it, where are you going to put your money and get 30% over a couple of months? So that is where the value proposition for shareholder sits. That do you just go with your 100 rent in the future, or do you take 130 of the table that is guaranteed and walk away and find another asset as an investor? So that is how they put up a value proposition. Makes sense. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, Ronan. Sure. So they need to have a good story. All right. Um, cool. So now let's quickly wrap it up. From an academic space or from an APC perspective, if you get, say, a case on investment entities, well, what could be the typical issues that one will need to explore? One, I mentioned uh, the valuation of what the underlying assets so that you can compare with the share price to determine the discount, right? And when you open the financials of REM Group, PSG, and Braid, you will really get excited because they talk about the things that we also covered in uh, case study one, uh, just around what? Uh, just around using the DCF to value the company, using um, a PS earnings-based multiple to value the companies. So these are the things that they do. So even if you, if you go to the links that I've provided them, you will see their techniques. I mean, DCF, I think it's very, prefer very much preferred by the likes of PSG. And then uh, Braid um, uses mostly earnings-based multiple, and Remgrow uses a mixture based on different assets. So you will then get to see how do uh, invest evaluation experts choose one model over the other. Because if you remember also our task F in case study one, it asked you, do you think this earnings-based approach is the appropriate technique? But as you go through these financials, as you get to see how it's done in practice, you will get better insights of how to respond to that and some of the things that may not have been clear to you and might come off as HLA. And you will have seen in some of the HLA indicators, we said that should we not consider a specific valuation techniques that we see applicable in the software industry, like valuing the number of users, valuing the client based, valuing revenue, and so on. But when you now explore these financials, you will then get a better sense of why a particular valuation technique will be better than the other. Sure enough, yes, you can talk about going concern and so on and so on, but all these assets are going concern. But still, these investors or these investment holding companies choose different techniques given different circumstances. And how they adjust or make adjustment to the multiple, very brilliant as well. So please go through those links and there will be quite a lot to learn from that. Then next is just entrenching 
our thinking about or around the sixth capital. Why? Because one, we'll remember one of the biggest capital that an entity wants to grow and explore is the financial capital. Why so? So when you partner with an investment holding, you get access to their deep pockets, and that is highly patient capital. Banks are not as patient as what? Are not as patient as equity investors. We just saw it recently with what? With Comair. That one will wonder, hmm, could they have then gotten a capital uh, as patient as what as we are seeing here? Then manufactured capital, because you are able to unlock these deep financial pockets, you are able to unlock your manufactured capital. I mean, through the investments in Vumatel, uh, DFA, and the transaction with Vodacom, they were able to increase their manufactured capital, which is the fiber assets, significantly. So that is another value proposition of just linking it back to what? To our six capitals. Social and relationship capital. So because these guys have been in the industry for a number of years, they know key contacts. So as you partner, they might be able to open up opportunities with government ministries that you will not have had access to before. Human capital, as I mentioned before, access to experienced and highly talented team of individual is available. So it's clear if now I then say that then the company uh, that you are looking at in a case study has gotten what? Has gotten an offer from these particular shareholders. What are the strategic considerations that you will need to raise? Then you are saying, let me look at financial capital. Will we be able to unlock and enhance it? Let me look at manufactured capital. Let me look at social and relational capital, which most of the time you do, and you will talk about, let's evaluate the integrity and reputation of the company. That is what you're talking about when we talk about social and relation, relational capital. Then accounting consideration. So as Anita just asked us, it, it is a very fair question. How do they do their accounting? Are they required to consolidate all the investment that they make? Yes and no. So if you have control and you are not in IFRIS 10, if you open IFRIS 10 uh, after this session, you, and there will be a section that is not part of the CTA syllabus where they talk about investment entities. So investment entities are investment holding companies, but not all investment holding companies are investment entities. So the standard then says an investment entity is X and it gives particular criteria. If you meet the criteria for investment entity, you are exempted from consolidating. And when you're exempted, all the investment you have in the other companies, you will then hold them at what? In accordance with IFRS 9 at fair value through PNL. Right? So if it's a task, it might be that this year will come. I'm very confused. I had consolidated these assets, but I'm hearing that I may be wrong. What do you think? Then you will say, the issue that you are really asking me is whether we are an investment entity or not. And if you are an investment entity, this will be the criteria that you will need to assert to, to meet or to go through. And based on the information you've given me, 
one is met, two is met, three is met, four is met. Therefore, we are an investment holding company. So for you to consolidate, you were wrong, even though you had control, but to consolidate, you were wrong. So that could be a typical task where you need to assess whether an entity is an investment entity and how they need to account for the assets. Then I spoke about selling assets, about unbundling. That could trigger a loss of holding or a loss of significant influence. If then that is the case, that means you need to apply B98 off um, if it's 10. And lastly, some of the investments you could have control, some of the investments you could have significant influence, some of the investments you can have joint control. So that means the standards of IFRS 10, IFRS 11, and 28 may be applicable, provided the exemption available in IFRS 10 does not apply to you. Then from a tax consideration, we could then say the unbundling, what are the tax implications? Then you will need to dish it out and say, since it's a dividend in specie, these particular provisions will apply and blah, blah, blah. And since we are now restructuring and we are bringing these two companies together, the corporate rules that are applicable in the Companies Act may apply. So that could be another potential task. So that is where, in terms from an academic perspective, in examiners can get what? Pretty excited. Clear? Yeah, Anita. Um, just a follow up, Rindani. I, I get, I, I understand in the point of Remco. Now, <laughs> hypothetically, let's say now um, the Remco is not the, what you call this, the con does not have a control. So in essence, the sub is the, is the one that has control. So the sub, because it won't fall within the criteria of the investment entity. So sub means that you will need to consolidate the investment Remco. So, so like Remgro consolidates um, Rainbow Chicken. I think they've got about 75% interest and they've got a huge board representation. So they consolidate mm -hmm. um, uh, Rainbow Chicken. They also consolidate uh, Distel um, and they also consolidate uh, some other company. So there are some companies that they consolidate. Then MediClinic, because they've got 44%, they yes. treat it as an associate and they then equity account its earnings. Oh, okay, so in yes. essence, the starting point would be the criteria for the investment entities. Yes. And then if all that fails, then we go the normal route. 100%. Okay, no, I'm here. Thanks, Rindani. So interestingly, Remgro does not meet it, but Breit does. So Breit meets the definition and Breit therefore holds this investment at Fable through P&L. So that's yeah, no, that. very interesting. I'd like to see the, the FS <laughs> just yes. to see how it looks. Yes. Yeah, With, no. yeah definitely, because uh, it's, it's, it's a big investing compared to all the others that you have shown us. And yet, if you say that does not meet the criteria, I can only imagine the, the complexity of the transactions there. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay, no, cool. Thanks, Renani. Sure. So if it is this, if this is case study two, you'll be ready, right? Oh Just... no, most definitely. Hi, <laughs> bring it on, accounting task. I'll be flying. <laughs> Good. All right. So in other news, 
Um, so some of the interesting transactions take a lot. It's under significant pressures. So I've shared this article because I think it's it's really quite interesting. I'm not sure whether you've been seeing the headlines, but Amazon is um, making a big push to enter South Africa through South Africa. And it's building a big uh, or a massive head office down in Cape Town. And now investors are saying, but take a lot, you've made this progress. And now you've got this formidable um, competitor, what do you call it? Yeah, competitor coming into the space. You've got the competition commission behind you. So are you going to make it? So this article is worth reading. And I'm sure also you've seen MTN have put up an offer to buy telecom. Um, so, so that is what? That is another uh, option that or another um, another interesting uh, news to follow. But of also of interest is the news around ESG. ESG is starting to become a big news. Uh, uh, what is it? Environmental, social, and governance investment. Where now we see quite a lot of capital providers saying that you need to tick the boxes from an ESG before you see our money. Um, um, sorry. So, so, so that is what we are seeing. And sadly, however, th th there's been a big debate about does anyone, can anyone afford ESG? Because if we look at Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka suddenly, suddenly is really grappling with food shortages. And when you read in terms of what happened, it is around this ESG because apparently they banned uh, non-organic fertilizers uh, in in order to comply and just become what more environmentally um, what's the word driven, and this was to access some capital from bondholders, and now bondholders are saying that yes, you have to make commitments before we can bail you out. And questions are now coming up to say, can anyone afford ESG? Because ESG requires probably e economies, e companies that are very big, the likes of Obosa, Sol, Eskom, that can afford to do so. And even our own South African government has also committed to move away from coal and therefore reduce their carbon uh, footprint in exchange for what? For 8.5 billion. Uh, access to capital, but are we there as an economy? Those are the questions that are coming out there. So very interesting news uh, to follow up from an ESG perspective, from a take a lot perspective, MTN to say MTN, now that you're seeing Vodacom has entered into that fiber asset and you know fiber is the future, Telcom has really made significant progress with its open serve and, and its interest shareholders as well to the extent that they want open server to be separate from telecom and to just showcase what that business can do and now one wonders whether the pursuit of telecom by uh, mtn is to acquire that open access infrastructure lastly it's around the 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 the, the, the inflation inflation has been a big thorn to many governments and economies and UK, I hear that it's quite bad. And when you read the headlines, uh, I mean, on 
a euro or pound basis, if in inflation is at 18%, you can imagine that's bad. Because it means for us, we are hit with a deteriorating rent exchange um, rate, as well as the increase in the underlying cost of the item. So these are some of the things that are out there. And just in terms of expanding your business like human, it is what it is worth just following up on. Very interesting, very um, quite a lot that has been written on it and different opinions coming through. Then how do you then take this forward? Personally, you can be an equity investor. Uh, so easy equity, it's one of um, the nice uh, platforms to use. The, 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 the investment in the investment in um, stock exchange ASE, because you might be saying that I, I really want to put my money in this investment holding company. If really it is true that they are trading at these discounts, then I'm going to wait. I've got a 1,000 rand, 10,000, 100,000 that is willing to wait until that discount narrows. It is worth putting it in there. So how do you go about it? So if you go easy equity, is the easiest platform. Neutral, it means that if you use, say, Capitec, Investec, and so on and so on, you can quickly go and open an account. Quite an easy FICA process. Um, I think you can even scan your ID in, but before the end of tonight, you can have a share what? You can have a share account. And what you can do, you can invest as little as 10 rand. Meaning that maybe you are saying that I've got 500. Uh, let me put it somewhere. Let me just understand how the stock market works. Let me just participate in this investment holding companies. You can be a shareholder by tomorrow morning, nine o'clock when the stock market opens, you can have your first share. And it's quite simple, very nice app, intuitive, checks your performance and you're able to what to see uh, how the share price is doing, how it has done in the past month. And they also got quite a lot of learning material in them. So the stock market, it's considered very aggressive because you can put your little 500 today, but come yes time, it could be 200. Oh, come yes time, it could be a thousand rand. So that is how this works. It's very risky. But if you are keen and saying, I want to participate in the economy, I'm convinced that my money needs to sit in an investment holding company. The way to get to it, it's very simple. So that is easy equity. And with that, that is all I had for you tonight. Any final thoughts before we call it tonight? Hi, Ridani. I have a quick question regarding the ESGs. So like specifically with regards to the ethical considerations, a lot of um, emerging economies and developing economies are also tasked with mm -hmm. you know complying with the ESGs. Mm -hmm. But like what's what what is like the like the sacrifice because a lot of them can't even provide um you know food sustainability for 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 their nations um and some some companies are even struggling you know with 
with you know maintaining the workforce that they have um mm -hmm. i think esgs do present specifically the um environmental impact of it where you know you you're expected to reduce your carbon emu emissions etc that's mm -hmm. that's quite costly in terms of you know restructuring the way you manufacture etc how what's how would you navigate that discussion where um you know looking at rather employing people versus um complying with the ESG how how would how would you even compare the two I think it's it's quite a difficult um discussion to have specifically in in in, in poorer economies I think you just answered it to the last part 100 percent um and I mean, if you see the commitment and the plans that even ESCOM has put down, um, I mean, it's been years, but now we'll say, but why are you thinking about this ESG compliance when you still have problem with generation of electricity? I mean, solve this problem first, and we can talk about those other things later. And I think that those are some of the challenging aspects uh, about this, that we, we want to do it, but it's like I've got problems to still solve. Um, as a developing nation, as an emerging nation, or even a poor, um, a poor economy, so it's really, it's really a tough one, um, and I think to some extent it's questionable why some of these big bond investors will then put such punitive kind of requirements, especially with what we are seeing in Sri Lanka around the impact that it can do to some of the developing economies. So very interesting, and it's, as you put it, difficult one, and still quite um, open to, 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 debate, to debate. But unfortunately, as it stands, uh, the people with money, uh, one could say they run the world. Uh, so that's, that's the unfortunate part. But very interesting uh, insights and discussion that will be had. Thank you. Thank you, Karabo. Uh, happy, I like your your suggestion there, uh, and I think yeah. When I started, I, I thought if we stayed in, I don't know how I missed it, but thank you for putting uh, for putting it out there. Uh, so it's also quite an important one, just in terms of also uh, the hierarchy of the investment, um, the 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 value of the inputs uh, and so on. So interesting insight. I'll update my slides, and uh, when I share them uh, tomorrow morning. And then I'll incorporate those insights and also from an auditing perspective, 100%. Thank you for those insights. Am I an ambassador for easy equities? <laughs> uh, I just love good companies. I like this investment holding companies. I find them very fascinating. I hope I'm not, uh, I hope I'm not <laughs> uh, I'm too much. <laughs>